there are moments in life when uh, what was blurry and unclear suddenly snaps into focus and we see it as it really is. The first TV I ever had, and some of you will understand this and some of you will not, had uh, dials, um, small little knobs that you had to twist to scroll through um, the frequencies to find a TV channel. And so you would turn the TV on and it would go, and you'd keep scrolling, and then suddenly there'd be Noel Edmonds there in front of you. You know, this still happens in the present century as well, uh, when you're streaming something on a computer maybe, and you go to the site and you load up the video, and what you see is blocky and blurry, and then suddenly it's high definition. And we have moments like these uh, in our lives. It might be when we realise that a job or a hobby really suits us. We suddenly think, ah, I really like this, and other people like me liking this. This is great. Uh, or it, it might be uh, when we find a challenge that calls deeply to us, uh, a cause, uh, or, or people who need help, or something like that, where we think, yes, I was made to, to do this. It might be when we take notice of someone in a way that we hadn't before, and we see how wonderful they are. It's, things suddenly become clear to us. And for those of us who are Christians here, uh, this happened most importantly for us when we realised who Jesus is and what he had done, and how real that was, and how that changed everything in our lives. Now, not everyone experiences this in, in a momentary flash of, um, of revelation. Most people have a sense of being taken on a, on a journey of understanding. But at some point for us, everything changes. And we sometimes describe these experiences as light bulb moments, uh, when we go from guessing in the dark to seeing clearly. And the story, of Je- uh, the story from the life of Jesus that we're looking at today as we continue our series uh, called Getting Closer to Jesus, uh, it contains a moment of clarity brighter than any light bulb that has ever existed. Because getting closer to Jesus involves seeing him as he really is. And I believe that's what God wants uh, to do for us today. Whether you've been a Christian for many years, whether you're not sure if Jesus even ever existed, uh, I believe God today wants you to see with clarity who he is. And I think it should follow from that that we'll have more faith for him to do amazing things amongst us and through us. And so we'll be making space for that uh, at the end of our time together. So the story we're going to read is in Matthew 17. It's going to uh, come up on the screen uh, behind me. Here's how it starts. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. And behold... There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. And Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good that we're here. If you wish, I'll make three tents here, one for you and one for Moses and one for Elijah. He was still speaking when, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And a voice from the cloud said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, Rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one 
but Jesus only. Why don't we just pray together that God would open our eyes today. Lord, we ask you uh, humbly saying, we need you to do this. God, we need you uh, to help us see you as you really are. And we've got your word to help us do that today. And your spirit who wants uh, to uh, work on our eyes. So please, God, come and be amongst us today. Please help us see you as as you really are. And get fresh faith uh, for what you want to do amongst us. Amen. Well, this event is called the Transfiguration. And that word means a change in appearance, uh, which is what happens to Jesus uh, in the story. And so that's why they called it that, I guess. And what I want to do is I want to explain why it was that Jesus' change in appearance happened in this way. Why it was that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. What was it about uh, light? What is it about light that tells us things about God that we need to know? We're going to look at three things and then we'll spend some time worshipping God for what those three things communicate to us about God. The first of them is that light is good. Most of us at this time of year um, experience light as trauma um, at the start of the day uh, because we wake up and it's still dark and we hit the light switch and our eyes are not prepared for what happens next. So I have to have a moment where I'm just kind of, I've, just, uh, I've managed to get out, out of the bedroom into, towards the bathroom in the dark. And then I'm like, oh, oh, I'm going to have to turn the light on. I don't like turning the light on. I've got to turn. And you do it, they're like, oh, I don't like it. There's only one thing worse than turning the light on and the, your eyes being dazzled by light in a dark morning. And that is pressing the light switch and nothing happening. <laughs> that would be worse. And so then what you do is, say, oh no, I don't know what to do. The house is dark, I'm stumbling around. You can't start my day until some sunlight arrives. So I'm then waiting for the sun to rise. And if that didn't happen either, then we'd really be in trouble. The Bible associates darkness with lots of bad things. It's frustrating. You can't get things done that you want to get done. It's chaotic. You can't know what's happening around you. It's dangerous. Things can be hidden in the dark that can cause us harm. And just simply, if you had a choice of routes um, to walk at night and one of them is totally dark and one of them is brightly lit, you would choose the brightly lit path to take. Our safety instinct says to do that. And so darkness in the Bible is associated uh, with evil deeds, which are usually done in the dark, but that also kind of that speaks of what they're like. And also death, the land of shadows. In stark contrast, life begins when God says, let there be light. That's how creation begins. It's the first act of creation. And upon making it, God says, this is good. And he's right. Because light brings life. The reason there is life on our planet is that we are at the perfect distance from the sun to receive its light and warmth in life-giving ways. Almost all life on earth requires the sun's energy, uh, the sun's light for energy. There is a theory, it's just a theory, that the reason that there are so many ginger-haired people in Scotland is because they have fair skin 
And fair skin enables you to absorb more of the health-giving vitamin D from the sun's rays. And when there aren't really a whole lot of sun's rays around, to have fair skin gives you an advantage. It's a theory. It's not my theory. I read it in a newspaper, and just you shouldn't get your theology from newspapers, you shouldn't get your science probably either. But the fact of the matter is we need the sun's light for, 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 for energy. All the food we eat exists because of light. Whatever your dietary preference, you needed the sun. Light also enables us to make the most of being alive. By it, we can see. And that means that we can explore and discover. It means that we can meet other people and relate to them. It means that we can work and we can create. It's very good. And with all these positive connotations, it's no surprise that light is associated with goodness in the Bible and therefore associated with God. But we're not saying here, oh, God's like light, they're both good for us. That's not what this image is doing. Something else is happening. It is part of God's goodness that he is the creator of light. Without him, light would not exist. It only continues to exist because he sustains all things that he has made, including the light that we need to be alive. And so from God's goodness comes every good thing that there is. His goodness is radiant. It goes out from him. As light travels from its source to us, so all goodness comes out from God to us. So this is one of the reasons Jesus appears in glorious light. It's because light is good and God is good and God radiates his goodness out to us. Second reason I think that there was light there was that light is separate from darkness. Now, we've already distinguished between light and darkness a bit, but there's some more that can be said about that because light and dark, we often kind of think of them, if you, you, know, if you watch Star Wars and things like that, you kind of think light and dark, oh, they're two sides of the same coin. Uh, they aren't. They aren't related. They are. Light isn't the opposite of darkness. Darkness is the absence of of light. Light is utterly different to darkness. And this points us to God's holiness, his being different to us and separate from us. The Bible tells us that God dwells in unapproachable light. I know. Good job. Joel, sorry, I probably should give you some. Now, you don't want to look at those lights all that, all that much, do you? You're not like, oh, great, he's beaming light at us. I hope he does this for the rest of the meeting. Just imagine the shock they're going to get this evening when it'll actually be quite dark in here. <laughs> That'll probably do, Joel, because it's already doing my eyes. I'm not even looking in that right direction. Your, your eyes right now are like, that was bad. I wish he hadn't done that. <laughs> Our eyes can't cope with overexposure to a few spotlights let alone the sun. In the same way, our weak and sinful selves cannot survive in the presence of God's pure goodness and greatness, what's known as his glorious holiness. This unapproachable light. You just can't, you know, you would, when the lights are on, you think it would be better for me to be in another room. 
It'd be better for me to be away from that. Well, God is so gloriously holy in His perfection, in His goodness, in His love, that we just experience the contrast between Him and us as pain. And we think we need to get away from Him. And we're right. When you read of people having encounters with God in the Bible, they are uniformly terrified when He shows Himself to them as He really is. John, for example, um, is one of the three who experienced the transfiguration. And you think, okay, fair enough. I mean, yeah, if that had happened to me, I'd have been like that. But John was also Jesus, one of Jesus' best friends and spent a lot of time with him. John saw the resurrected Jesus. So John's experienced a lot of the glory of God. And then it's John who's on the island of Patmos in the book of Revelation when Jesus appears to him again in this glorious way. John says his eyes were like a flame of fire. His face was like the sun shining in full strength. And John's reaction is not to say, oh, it's this again. Hello. John says, I fell on, I fell at his feet as though dead. Because to encounter God in this radiant glory and holy is just too much for us. God is altogether too much for us. And because he doesn't always appear to us in this way, we forget it a little bit. And we grow familiar, too familiar in some ways. But even as we realise that this is what he's really like, and holy fear should rise in us as we, as we do this. We hear Jesus say to us what he said to John, both at the transfiguration and in Revelation 1. Don't be afraid. Well, why not? If this is what he's like, if this is what he's really like, why how can we not have fear? Well, let's look at the third thing that light does to get an answer. Light illuminates. We can't see the view unless the sun rises or the moon shines. We can't read a book uh, without a source of light uh, so that we can see the pages. Our screens uh, need their brightness turned on and usually turned up if they're to be any use to us. We need light to see things as they really are. And God does this for us in regards to himself. See, the transfiguration is a moment when this happens. It is a moment of illumination and revelation. It's when we see him more clearly. This light of God, uh, with all its goodness and its greatness, is often called his glory. And Jesus clearly had that glory at all times, and yet... When he walked amongst us on earth, most people didn't see it. One of the Old Testament prophecies about Jesus hundreds of, hundreds of years before he came to earth was that he had no form or majesty, again, similar word to glory, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him and no beauty that we should desire him. Jesus had to take on human flesh. He had to become like us in order to save us. If he had just come in his glorious radiant light the whole time, it would have been amazing, but he couldn't have saved us. And so he takes on human flesh and he does it so totally, so perfectly, that most of the people he meets throughout his life don't realise that they're talking to the eternal almighty God. 
But the transfiguration is a moment when a shaft of divine light shines forth from him. Writing a bit later, uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 1.16, we, he's talking about the three of them there, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And so that, that, that shining forth of that light shows us about God's strength and his glory and his goodness and his, his holiness. It's illuminating who Jesus really is. He isn't just another guy. He is God. And we find out more about that because the visual display is one thing. But what is said by God the Father at this point is perhaps even more amazing. The father says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. This gives us a glimpse of the relationship that the father and the son have had for all eternity. Together with the spirit, the trinity, God has always been and always is and always is delighting. Father delights in the son, son delights in the spirit, spirit delights in the father and the father and the son. And they relate to each other like this and they always have done and they always will do in perfection and love and glory. And so this is showing us that Jesus isn't just some other guy. He is the eternal one. He's God himself. This statement reveals to us that God has taken on human form. God hasn't found someone really good to help us. Not like oh, I've looked through all the people there have been, and Jesus is the best there is, so we'll start to work with him. It's not what's going on. He hasn't, maybe he hasn't just found someone like us and upgraded him to a higher rank. You often find other uh, kind of um, uh, heresies about Christianity. Mormonism would say this like, oh, Jesus was, he was really good and then he got better. And Christianity, real Christianity, says, no, he is God. He is God. He is always, has, always has been God. To be the Son of God is to be God. And all the fullness of divinity is as much in Jesus as it is in the Father and always has been. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says, He is the radiance of the glory of God. You cannot separate one from the other. And so this light and this scene is illuminating to us more about Jesus than we might have known. And thirdly, we have the presence of Moses and Elijah and their conversation with him. Now, Moses and Elijah had lived hundreds, centuries uh, before, but they are brought from wherever they've been staying uh, to this scene. And they represent the Old Testament. So Moses is associated with the law and um, Elijah is associated uh, with the prophets. And that's often used as a summary phrase uh, for the Old Testament, it's the law and the prophets. And, and this is basically all the revelation of God uh, that there was up until the arrival of Jesus. And so Moses and Elijah represent all that God has said and all that God has done up to this point. And they both also prefigured Jesus. Moses said, there'll come a prophet like me. And Elijah, uh, the Jews believed, was gonna, he was going to be the forerunner of the arrival of the Messiah. And so they were these guys were used by God to speak about Jesus before Jesus came. And therefore, them arriving at this point is them saying, it's here. He is here. The fulfillment of all God's plans is Jesus. 
Now Luke's account of the transfiguration tells us a little bit about what they were speaking about. He, he says that they talked with Jesus about his departure. That's what um, most English translations will usually say. But the Greek word that Luke uses there is exodus. And if you know uh, the Old Testament, you'd be like, I'm familiar with that word. And the exodus was the great deliverance from slavery that God brought his people out of Egypt from under Moses as it happened. And so they're not just saying, oh, Jesus, you're going to die and depart. They're saying, Jesus, you are bringing about the greatest exodus, the true exodus, that the exodus from Egypt was just a sign pointing towards you are going to bring people not just out of slavery like the Jews were in Egypt. You're going to bring people out of slavery to sin and out of slavery to death. You are going to set them free. And this takes us to a deeper question about this scene than just, you know, why all the light? I think that's a legitimate question, and that's why I asked it. But here's a deeper question. Why would Jesus go down the mountain again? I mean, it seems pretty good up there. And we know it's dark and chaotic down there. This the transfiguration, there's just bits in the, the Gospels either side of it. You just think... Oh, no. Like, people are misunderstanding Jesus. Even when they get something right, then they get something horribly wrong. Literally, when they get down from this mountain, all the other disciples are going to be there having an argument with a, with a crowd about a, a boy who they couldn't heal. So Jesus knows. Up here is glorious. Down there is chaos. Why not stay in the glory? Why not stay with the Father? Why not just experience that love and that wholeness and that perfection? The answer is because there was another hill for him to climb. And this time he would go with a crossbeam on his shoulders. And instead of being clothed in light, he would be stripped of everything. And instead of Moses and Elijah and awestruck disciples, there would be a thief on either side of him. And a crowd of his enemies mocking him. And there was a day of darkness to come when he would hear nothing from heaven, even though he cried out to God in the agony of his suffering. That's why Jesus goes down the mountain. So that he can enter into our darkness fully, take it upon himself wholly, and by doing so, the light and the love and the life of God can be shared with us. There was no other way. And so he went. And so the Father's words confirm that Jesus is the Son of God. He is eternal. He is divine. Moses and Elijah confirm that he is the Messiah. He is the promised one, the one God said he would come and rescue us from death and bring us life. God has done nothing less to save us than send us himself. And these revelations of dazzling truths, you may be familiar with them, but I hope the Spirit's just making you see again how Incredible they are. 
These are dazzling truths that God has come to be with us, that he has come to rescue us. It's just appropriate that they are accompanied with dazzling light. The light just serves as a backdrop for who God is and what God has done. Jesus shines brighter than the sun because he is more powerful than it and we need him more than we need it. We could never have seen this unless God had shown us. You would not have worked this out by yourself. 2 Corinthians 4, 6 says, God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God has done this. We were blind to him, but he shone his glory, his goodness, his greatness, his light into our lives and suddenly we saw him. His glorious light enables us to see his glorious light. And so there are three reasons, at least, for the brightness of this scene. God's goodness, his holiness, and his revelation of himself to us as our divine saviour. And there's so much more that we could say and apply uh, from this. And I've included some more about this in the notes for small groups to discuss. But uh, we've, we've wanted uh, to, to kind of to spend time getting closer to Jesus by looking at him in his word and then responding uh, to that. And so we want to do that. We want to uh, worship together. We want to invite God to do whatever he wants to do now uh, among us. And so I want to just finish uh, this time by linking this extraordinary event to our ordinary everyday lives. The transfiguration shows us what Jesus is really like and he is always like this. He's always like this. Most people who saw Jesus on earth, they just saw the man. They just saw the flesh. Those who were with him when he did a miracle or he taught with authority, they suddenly, you, the gospels recorded, they start to think, okay, I've seen something more. Now, I've seen kind of two things at once. It's a man, but it's, there's authority, there's truth, there's glory, there's goodness. Those two things are, are together. Peter, James and John got a full like dazzling flash of his divinity. And so did all those who saw him when he was resurrected from the dead. There's no more, who is he? Because they see him as he is. He is now in heaven. He ascended and his glory is fully on display. He is just shining now in heaven with the radiance of his goodness and his holiness and uh, his revelation. This is what he is like right now and forever. There are times when the sun goes behind a cloud or is even eclipsed. And its brightness seems dimmed to us. And every day the world turns and the sun's hidden from us for the hours of night. And darkness seems to rule. What do we do then? Do we doubt the sun's existence? Do we begin to wonder whether it truly is light? No. And this... This applies to our faith right now. The Apostle Paul described our time as this present darkness. 
Darkness is all around us in this life, and all of us go through seasons of cloudiness and uh, what are sometimes called dark nights of the soul, which may last very much longer than a single night. Do not let those times define your perception of reality. Trust that God's light has not gone out, but is merely temporarily obscured from your view. God is real. He is good. He is loving. He is powerful. Things happen which tempt us to doubt this. But there is nothing more true in all of creation than the glory of God in Christ Jesus. He doesn't have ups and downs. He doesn't strengthen and weaken. There is no shadow of turning with him. And so we can always call on him. We can always trust him. So don't get stuck in your doubts and in the darkness of them. Delight in him instead. Remember what you've already seen of him and look forward with eyes of faith to the glorious future awaiting those who are faithful to him. One day we will see him more clearly than Peter and James and John did in that scene. He'll be even brighter than those lights and we will then be fitted to see him as he fully is. God will have transfigured us into glorious bodies that can see him. 1 John 3 verse 2, when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. It's our great hope. Whether you see his light or not right now, he is light, he is glorious, and he is with us. Even as he was ascending to heaven, he said to his first followers, Behold, I am with you always. And for centuries before this, God's people had sung David's psalm, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the shadow of death, even though I walk through darkness, I'll fear no evil, for you're with me. In our church Bible reading plan this week, Jacob went to sleep one night thinking he was alone. And woke up in the morning and said, surely the Lord was in this place and I did not know it. I believe the Lord is in this place right now. Many of us feel aware of it, of him already. Others aren't so sure, but we are going to respond to him being here right now. We're going to respond to uh, these truths of what this light represents to us. And then we'll just see what else God wants to do. And I don't know what that will be, but... He's the Lord, so he gets to decide. Let me pray something for us. If you're able to stand, why don't you stand? It's good to engage with the Lord. And however will help you perceive him and see him, you know, feel free to close your eyes or you can open them and lift them up or, or whatever. But let me pray a very ancient prayer uh, over you, which I, I pray a lot for people. It's the will of God uh, for his people. That the Lord bless you and keep you. And may the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace. 
And whichever of those things you would most love to have right now, the blessing, the being kept, the grace, the attention, the peace, or any of his other goodness that comes in any of those categories, they're all focused around this. He makes his face to shine upon us. 